This is episode number 170 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. Welcome to Well-Fed Women. I'm your co-host, Noelle Tarr, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer, and I'm joined by my bestie, Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature. On the show, we provide moderately amusing banter, authentic, unfiltered conversations relating to nutrition, fitness, mindset, and body image, and offer empowering advice for women from women. While you're listening, please keep in mind that the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and should not be used to diagnose or treat disease. We are so excited to have you here. So now let's have some fun. I'm so just tired, Stephanie. I'm tired. Keep it together, Noelle. <laughs> just, uh, it's one of those ti- like days where... It just, I don't know if you've, you've probably experienced this, but it feels tired, like in my face, like in my nose and my eyes, like I just can't clear it. It almost feels like a lingering tiredness that I'm like, why am I not feeling more chipper? Well, um, you know, I've never felt that way before, but now I'm probably going to start to feel that way. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm going to be like, does my nose feel tired? <laughs> Like for the rest of my life, I'm going to be like 80 and I'm going to be like, my nose is tired. Yeah. <laughs> Noelle did this to me. It's just this general feeling of like, I still can't feel like, I, I don't feel like I've woken up very well. I don't know. And I did, I got fine sleep last night. I just, it's still lingering right now. And I've been I, up and talking, but ugh. Well, if you like wrote into the podcast, I would probably tell you that you can't just have one good night of sleep, but regular good nights of sleep. Yeah. Which yeah. we're going to talk about that on this episode, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I would agree. But I did take a melatonin um, and that might be part of the problem. I don't know. But when I do take it, even though even though it's just a tiny, tiny little bit, I do wake up and I feel like I, I have a harder time knocking the the sleepy feeling. So, but I'd rather have that than not actually sleep and feel even worse. So, but I'm getting back on schedule. I I feel like I'm starting to feel regulated again. I had some struggles, which I did mention on the podcast of like, she was, Stella was getting up again in the middle of the night and therefore I started to have more anxiety at night and then I was having sleepless nights. And so now I'm like, okay, back to the norm here. So it just takes a little bit of tweaking and some things. Some Valerian root tea. So. Okie doke. Okay, so what's new with you, Stephanie? Anything new in, in Oxford? Well, I'm not sure. I don't talk about this much on this podcast. <laughs> I will probably in, in other uh, other content that I produce. Um, I've been struggling a lot with... Um, like our existential situation... I suppose, uh, triggered by many things, most a lot of which is just like sitting with my experience of what it is to be a human animal. And, you know, everybody says that, okay, so there's this idea, is our philosophy lesson for today. There's this idea called uh, mind-body dualism, which is basically the idea that like our our minds are separate from our bodies and they're like this, I don't know, spiritual stuff 
then that just like hangs out and it comes from people centuries back and the mind was basically connected to God. And anyway, we sort of like have this perception basically that where there's like, we live in a dualistic world. We can't really help it. It just sort of is like our default setting that minds are different from bodies fundamentally. But then scientists came along <laughs> and were like, nope. <laughs> um, and basically proved more or less that our minds are very uh, biological, right? Like we talk about this on the podcast all the time. Um, the way that we feel and think is is very, you know, very much uh, determined or influenced by the, you know, the chemistry that's going on in our brains, the genetics, we have all of all of this different stuff. And there are, in fact, many, many people in the world, uh, most of the highly educated uh, people in the West believe that we are like just sort of determined by um, of the history of the world and all of our experience of consciousness is basically an illusion of free will and not actually free will. And everybody just says like, we should basically go ahead and pretend like we have free will, even though we don't. Okay. So that's just like, this is the starting point for Steph's update on our life. I believe that we actually do have free will because of my perspective on evolution. And I won't go into it here. Um, and I, but, and I've also sort of been developing this idea that we, there, there is a sort of dualism. I think, I mean, a lot of people think this too. Um, and where in, just like think, just sit there and just like think about like where, like where is my self? Like what am I? When I say I, like what do I mean? Um, because we'll often say things like, well, my body, you know, my body is tired, but I don't want to be, or I'm going to like, I, I have a body. I'm going to try to make myself do these things. We're actually just this like voice, you know, this like stream of conscious thinking. We identify ourselves with this. Um, and I've just been spending a lot of time like, watching watching how small this voice is relative to the rest of my experience of of being this animal this stephanie rupert you know you get tired and you say something like i'm tired and i'm like wait i'm not tired this like animal is tired and i'm letting you know i just am feeling so much like i just we just sort of watch and i've been studying with a lot of people who um, think about us as not necessarily as actors, but really as beings that are sort of compelled by the environments around us. Um, we're very much shaped and conditioned by everything that just sort of happens to us. And, and again, we're just this like tiny little thinking voice that thinks that it has some control, but it doesn't. So I've been having a little bit of existential, uh, I call it squick, <laughs> existential squick, not quite despair, but a little bit of existential squick over that. Plus, if anybody wants to like help me out with uh, dealing with uh, turning 30, it would be really nice. Um, I just like sometimes I lay in bed at night and I just I can't stop. Like I can't stop feeling the despair of a third of my life being over um, at minimum. And uh, I, I don't necessarily feel despair about it, but definitely some anxiety, you know, definitely some anxiety. Um, and not just about like getting stuff done, but also like dying and stuff. We <laughs> I'll leave it at this. Stephanie has been uh, doing some existential growth of late. Um, and if y'all feel like uh, weighing in, please do. Or um, you could just, well, I'm not sure when I'm going to necessarily go live with, with all of my stuff on these sorts of questions, but you're more than welcome to join me there when I do. Isn't this what your new podcast is relating to or no? 
I'm not 100% certain it's going to be a podcast, but I'm I'm pretty sure, but I'm not 100% Vide- certain. Video series? Uh, yes, podcast and or video series. Yeah, we'll talk about stuff like this all the time. Um, yeah, so anyway, every once in a while, somebody will write in and be like, Steph, talk more about the philosophy stuff. So I thought I would just ramble for a little bit. I'm done now. Appreciate the rambling. So you <laughs> Noelle's been- like <laughs> falling asleep with her Tamagotchi. <laughs> I was feeding my Tamagotchi. So so you say that there's been growth. Does that mean like positive? You've been having like positive interaction with with your struggles and or Mm. uh, or are you just struggling more? Yeah, I'm sort of I things things were kind of hard for a while. Um, Just like really making sense of things. You know, my life is I'm reasonably isolated here and it's just really easy for somebody who you know sort of digs into these issues on a regular basis to just become like nothing like you know every once in a while you get like a little bit like oh wow existence is weird and I'm a little bit freaked out about it I am like that 100% of the time 100% of the time exhausting to be true I live in that space yeah well yeah (laughs) It is. I mean, there are benefits too, but um, there there definitely has um, been some positive, been some positive movement, and I really do think you know, um, with our the sheer fact of our existence, as with anything that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, like there's no way out but through, you know, and you just have to like, you have to really sit with it and sort of find the corners of it that feel more comfortable, um, you know, and and make sense of things in a way that that are that are good for you you know I, I don't really think that running from these sorts of things is healthy in any sense so I did a lot of sitting that was really uncomfortable and now I'm like I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty decent I'm feeling pretty good uh, um, love it so do you think that you've had to sit in it more because you have chosen the path you have with your education <laughs> yes. and your dissertation okay just I was like hmm. but well, was that did you proactively like, I feel this tension, so I'm going to move towards it. And this is why this is the path I've chose so that I can sort through it better. Or Oh, it's very chicken and eggy, but you're totally right. Like if I, if I had a life, if I just like had decided, like I thought about a year or two ago to just throw it all away and dance, <laughs> which was like very, very high on the possibility. I don't list. remember that actually we would talk about that on the podcast where you were like I don't know I have this opportunity to dance professionally should I just stop what I'm doing yeah Yeah. well I I didn't because I think this is my calling and it feels right you know like it feels like I'm coming home to myself you know in, in in the way that I want to need to be existing in the world but I think it definitely like it definitely comes with discomfort it's like people who struggle with body image and then they go into working in body image um, which we've also done, although that's, that's not much of a problem for me anymore. But, uh, yeah, I, I think like I, I am like digging up things that I had put to rest, you know, um, and sort of diving back into that pool of things that like, yes. Okay. So we're like, this is this is is a major argument that I will be making. You know, we our existence is so strange and it's so important. And we spend so much of our lives like flitting about on the surface of it. Um, but like, I think it's really important to 
look at the deeper levels and like really face who we are and what we're doing here, because then you can actually make intentional decisions, you know, about um, how you want to be and how you want to relate to other people and that sort of stuff. And it's hard, but I think, I think we become better for it in the end. So anyway, yes, it's hard, but I, I am hopeful. <laughs> I am banking <laughs> on the fact that it makes me better for it in the end. Yeah. So okay. how did, so how does that relate to paleo? Cause I know there, it has to, I mean, I could like do some Just mental gymnastics it. and no. make it relate. No, no need, no need. Uh, I could definitely do it, but it would take me a few minutes, and I would rather hear about how you're doing with your technology. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like really offensive that I'm now referring to your baby as like, a little like Japanese pet <laughs> on a, on a keychain. Yeah, <laughs> no things. <laughs> are well hey i have been sharing more on the insta about food and baby nutrition and i'm getting i've been getting a lot of questions so i started doing this thing where i before i feed her i kind of cut up all the things and i put it on a plate and i take a picture of the plate and just been kind of going through my process for how i did introduce solids and why i did it the way i did and yeah she's eating a ton and that's really encouraging to me, but I also think I was very intentional with how I chose to introduce foods and when I did and and what foods I decide to introduce. And so um been getting a lot of questions and I'm excited to address that more because I feel like a lot of people are really confused about it and get really stressed out about it. And so I am, we're going to have here in, I don't know if it's going to be the next step. <laughs> to be truthful, I'm not really sure when we have it scheduled, but um we're going to bring on somebody specifically to talk about baby nutrition and just boosting wellness for baby and um, health and wellness, immunity, that sort of thing. How to deal with things like teething, how to help your kiddo. Um, you know, med- like if you don't, if you're chosen not to give Tylenol or ibuprofen, like what can you do to help your kiddo? And so just stuff like that, more holistic care for babies. Um, we're going to talk about that more, which I'm really excited about because I think more as I more and more get in this health space, um, things that seem to come more intuitive and natural to me because I think I've, you know, whatever, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I've been doing this a long time and I do my research and then I say, okay, this is how we're going to do this. And I kind of adapt my own little protocol. Um, I realize that some people don't have that luxury of understanding it the way that I do um, just because of, of some of the foundational education that I've received and also, you know, <laughs> My obsessive, extensive research. So, um, yeah, I'd like to, I think we're going to talk more about that. I really have a desire to help people in that area and to help babies and kids because there are a lot of people say that food before one is just for fun. And I actually disagree with that. Um, food before one has a very, very specific purpose. And I don't know. We'll see what our guest has to say about that. She may say that food before one is for fun, but I, uh, there are specific nutrients that baby is low in, right, at six months. And so it's a really great time to introduce specific foods. And with Stella, she did have a tongue tie. And I had her work with a speech therapist just to assess how significant the tie was and what 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 was her oral motor function. And I talked to her about introducing solids. And she was very adamant 
about making sure that we introduce it at least. It doesn't mean she needs to be eating at six months. It means introducing her to these different textures and foods at six months because the more you wait, the more picky of an eater you're going to have and the more she's going to struggle with developing proper or more oral motor function. So it's it's an interesting thing for me to be in this space now. I guess I just never really... Um, it was just a lot of unknowns, but then once you're in it and you're a mom, it's just, it's all you think about. So, um, hopefully we'll be talking about more baby nutrition and, um, more baby eats. And I will be honest, this girl, (laughs) this girl, when I get out the, so we do Bubby sauerkraut right now. Um, it's just from Whole Foods. It's in the refrigerated section. And once I bring that jar out, no matter, she usually has a plenty of food on her tray, she starts crying, like throwing a little bit of a fit. And it's the first time I've ever really seen her start to express herself like that she wants something was because she wants sauerkraut. And I'm like, honey, we're doing something right. If the first time this girl cries is because over, you know, wanting something is because she wants sauerkraut. So um, it's funny. Kids really love sour things. You would you wouldn't think that they would, but they're really drawn to it. So anyway, Kid cries over sauerkraut and baby nutrition. That's the new stuff. All right. All right. My Tamagotchi's eating sauerkraut. <laughs> so um, uh, Prep Dish, still a sponsor, and we love that they are sponsoring. This is your reminder. If you have not gone to PrepDish.com slash WellFed, please go and do so. I talked about this last week, but Prep Dish is basically a full online subscription-based meal planning service. It does everything for you except go and buy the food, which honestly, I like that a lot. I like being able to go and buy all my foods and see what I'm getting and choose my own groceries because sometimes um, you can save some money if you shop yourself. So uh, yeah, it's 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 just being able to hand over all of the really time-consuming parts of meal planning. Every week you get sent uh, a meal plan. So this is all in a PDF and it's a meal plan that have both, it's a both a paleo meal plan and then a separate gluten-free meal plan. It's the same exact meal plan, except one is gluten-free and one is paleo. Um, And so therefore certain tweaks have been made to the recipes, but you get that full meal plan, you get a grocery store list and then so that you can go shopping um, and then you get your prep ahead instructions. So in other words, on your day off, you're given these instructions for how to prepare, like in other words, cut up the, cut up this and that and throw it together and put it in an airtight container and put that in the fridge. And so that's, you know, you basically have all of your meals prepped for the week. And so when it's time to come home and actually cook the meals, it's pretty much all done for you. You just either throw it in the pan and or heat it up and and you can serve it. And it's um, stuff that the whole family will love. It's very simple, quick and easy recipes. It's stuff that you'll learn very quickly that you can incorporate into um, into future recipes that you're making and, and it exposes you to new foods. And it's very, it, it's just, there's no, like it takes all of the very time consuming and sometimes um, complicated parts of meal planning out and it does it for you. And it's really, really, really affordable. Like it's just, it's a no brainer to me um, to to pay a small amount of money to have somebody just do all of that who is an RD and a chef. So um, prepdish.com slash wellfed. You'll get two free weeks. Um, So you try it totally free. There's nothing, you don't have anything to lose. You can just uh, give it a try. And also at prepdish.com slash wellfed, there's an example of the meal plan so you can see it there. You'll type in wellfed at checkout, which is detailed on this on the link that you'll go to. And the two weeks will be zeroed out. So totally free. Um, 
And that's that. Sorry, my kid just screamed and <laughs> kind of grabbed my attention there. But that's it. Prepdish.com slash wellfed. And we will link to that in the show notes. Any additional thoughts or insights from you before we get to questions? Question number one is from Kelsey. Hello, ladies. I've been on a low-carb, lazy keto diet for 11 months. It's been great for me. I lost 60 pounds, had less inflammation, and lost my sugar addiction. My husband and I are considering children soon. I don't feel keto is sustainable for me in that regard. I want to include a broader range of nutrients. At the same time, I'm just a few pounds heavier than I'd like to be, all in my stomach. I found my mental health crashed, and I was thinking very restrictively about food. After being stalled for about three months, I finally gave up. I gave my scale battery to my husband and brought some rice and bought some rice and sweet potatoes. What should I expect adding these things in? Am I prone to weight to gain weight doing this too quickly? Second question. I have fibromyalgia, some joint deterioration and poor teeth. I get meat. I get my meat, eggs and dairy from local farms, eat very little grain, but I seem seems like I have a mineral problem. My nails are brittle and I have vertical ridges too. I'm worried that a pregnancy will have bad effects on my bone density. I take cod liver oil, magnesium, potassium, and folate. Any ideas? My hormones and thyroid tests are normal. This includes cortisol. I eat lots of eggs, lot of vegetables, raw cheeses from local farms, occasional raw milk, all the grass-fed butter and lard. Bonus weird, weird food thing. I crave garlic like crazy. Team Honeycrisp with crunchy peanut butter. Thank you. Well, so she didn't, Noel didn't read this, but Kelsey included some body stats. All right. Yeah. Do you want me to just, just to say my little piece no. on that? Uh, well, I, I was going <laughs> to Well, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not going to be, I don't, this is why we don't call attention to body sizes and, and heights and all the things is because it starts this comparison trap. And so when you hear somebody say, well, I'm still pounds away from my goal and I'm this height and this weight, then everybody else who does not weigh that is comparing themselves and thinking, oh, do I need to lose weight? And it and to me, the the poundage and the height and all that kind of stuff, the BMI, it's sort of irrelevant. It, it it's good for us to know. I think it does give us some insight. Like it's gonna it gave us some insight here. But um, I don't think it's helpful at all in terms of help, like, you know, the listeners, yeah. the listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say that um, her so she is the same height as me. And this is where it becomes helpful. She's the same height as me, but 25 pounds less. And I don't consider it to be a problem for me, the weight that I am. It's not. Um, I it it's. The weight that she has given us is actually the weight that I start to lose my period. And it's way, it's a very, very, very thin frame. And so for me, I, it gives me context into, hmm, she's still really focused on wanting to lose more weight and or needs a, a, a flatter stomach or something. And so it's giving us insight into, Maybe there's a little bit more there with the mindset work. There is no reason for her to need to actually lose any more weight and or have a flatter stomach. And so that that desire may be driving her behaviors and causing this, you know, this disordered eating behavior and this men- mentality crash. <laughs> Would that be a good explanation? Yeah. Okay. Yes, that would be. And okay. and that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely the first thing that I was going to say is it sounds like 
it sounds like you're focusing more on your weight even than you let on, right? Um, and uh, I'm not saying that you were <laughs> trying to deceive us, but, you know, we often, I think, underestimate the extent to which our body fat and our relationship with it affects us. You know, um, it's hard to see that. I definitely think I'm super, super glad that you went ahead and bought the the rice and the sweet potatoes. You are absolutely right that when adding carbs back into your diet after having been on a low carb diet, warning to anybody who's thinking about doing it, um, it can it can be like a, a little bit of a shock to your system. Um, I wouldn't if you're like really craving them, just go for it. Um, and honestly, like if you see negative, like negative effects, quote unquote, negative effects, when you add carbs back in, um, yeah, it could be some initial weight gain. The reason is that um, ketosis uh, and low carb diets generally, but it's definitely ketosis um, causes your body to become insulin resistant. Um, and people will often call this non-pathological insulin resistance, which basically just means it's not like a diseased, a quote unquote diseased state. Um, it happens because you're not eating any carbs. And when you eat carbs, your body wants to hold on to them. You know, like it's, it, it wants to be able to anyway, to, to keep your blood sugar levels elevated and all that stuff. Um, so when you add carbs back into your diet, it can take a little while for your body to adjust again to, you know, be able to uh, have the insulin sensitivity that it might otherwise have if you're like regularly eating carbs. Um, so I would, because I wouldn't want to like hurt my blood sugar, you know, management regulation I would move like a little bit, you know, with a little bit of caution. I mean, again, you could throw caution to the wind and just like see what happens. You know, that the chances of something like dramatically harming you, I think, are, are pretty low. Um, but you could also move a little bit more slowly, which means just like have like don't have four sweet potatoes at once. Like have one. That's what I mean, you know, by taking it slowly. Um, maybe have half a sweet potato with every meal you know, a half a cup of rice with every meal um, for a few days or a week to see how that goes um, and then increase it. That would be the slow way that I would do it. But again, I'm also not sure I would do it the slow way. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure I would do it that way. Um, and so it really just depends on what feels best for you mentally. Um, I love that you're thinking about nutrient density. Um, I think these carbs could be great. I think I'm not going to say that eating carbs would, would fix a, a bone density problem. Uh, I won't say that, but I do think that adding carbs back into your diet can help your body with producing estrogen, which A, can be good for conception, um, and B, which can be good for um, for bone density. Uh, it can be supportive of that process. Again, I'm not saying it'll fix that problem, but it can be supportive of it. Um, so yeah, I'm def that's like definitely the team um, that I'm on. I would definitely focus on this first and foremost, and then look more into um, the, the other stuff. You know, it's considering that you have fibromyalgia along a diagnosis of fibromyalgia along with other um, problems there. Yes, I think definitely there could be some underlying nutrient deficiencies here. Maybe 
um, some leaky gut or, you know, systemic inflammatory problems. But adding carbs back into your diet will not make this worse. I would definitely focus um, on if you're worried about the fibromyalgia, I would definitely focus on keeping grains to a minimum, if not out of the diet. Um, and I, I would I would try to do like a more quote unquote, you know, paleo thing. And it sounds like you're really um, good about that going to, you know, get the um, local and um, locally sourced meats and the like. So that's 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 the order of operations in which I would take things. And depending on, you know, the severity of your concern with the fibromyalgia and, and the bone density um, and the like, you know, sort of calibrate your, your diet accordingly. But you can definitely do something like even an autoimmune protocol um, and, and add some carbs. And I think definitely right now focusing on what you're including is important. Okay. Okay. A couple things. First, I want to say that just because when something has that has been working for you, so it's kind of been this lazy keto approach and you've been losing weight and you feel good, just because it has worked for you and it no longer does, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It just means that what you are doing is no longer serving your body. It's no longer working for your mental and emotional health and physical health. And so you don't need to just do it harder, which I think is a good thing. You've kind of moved away from that thinking. But, um, you know, it just means that your body has newer, different needs. And I kind of feel like this is the start of, I can foresee this happening, Kelsey. This is not something that has happened yet. But I can foresee this being a sort of a yo-yo diet dieting situation by which you say, okay, I did this keto thing. It worked. Now I, I can't maintain it anymore. It's my mental health is tanking. I'm becoming very, I have, I'm having this terrible restrictive mindset around food. Okay, I'm just going to, I just bought the carbs and I'm just going to eat them. And so I have this feeling that you're going to eat all the carbs because you have this very restrictive mentality around food. And so you're probably going to eat all the carbs and then be like, oh, I don't feel good. I gained five pounds. I need to go back to keto. And so then you go back to keto and you get you. And then it just kind of spirals downward where you're trying to be very, very restrictive. You have times of being very, very restrictive. And then you have times of trying to go back to what you would perceive to be normalcy. And so this is a very restrictive dieting thing. Even though you're eating lots of healthy, nourishing foods, it is a it is a situation by which, you know, our underlying concerns are. I need to be thinner, I need to get my stomach flatter, I need to weigh less, and I'm terrified of gaining weight, and I, so I know this one restrictive way is going to help me not gain weight, and so I just need to do that harder, I need to be better about doing that, but we know it's not serving you mentally and emotionally, and I do think that some of the mindset shifts that you're having, your restrictive mentality around food, the fact that you might be thinking more about carbohydrates and craving that, is because you're, um, you might be underweight for your body. You might be actually kind of not eating enough and your body is now really crying out for more nutrients and calories and it's getting really hard um, to maintain this level of cal- caloric restriction. And so I, I do think that it might be worth it. If, you, if you're struggling right now, this is not working from you, shift away from it. But I think it would be really worth doing some body image assessment and work and understanding what is driving me. Why why am I doing this? What are my assumptions about health and weight loss and bodies? And do I have some sort of perception that I need to 
look a specific way. Like I need to look like a shape, a shape magazine, you know, cover model in order to be healthy because that is definitely not true. Um, you can be all different weights and shapes. You could be 25 pounds more than you are right now and be healthy. And so that's definitely not true. And you're worthy no matter uh, what your size is. And and we've talked about that a lot. And I think that it might be worth going back to some of the earlier episodes where we do talk about how to um, work towards having a better relationship with your body, understanding very specific truths about your body and its size and how it exists in the world and what that means. And just being very aware of what's around you and what you're interacting with that might tell you that you do need to to lose more body fat or, you know, the fat around your stomach is unacceptable. That is obviously a very, very... Um, it's a hot topic, you know, the, the 21 day flat belly fix and, uh, pardon me because I know that lots of people have flat bellies and it's totally fine, but I really, I I think it's crazy. It's, it's crazy that we have given women this sort of like perception that they need their belly should be flat like that's what it needs to be that looks better that's that's a better way to exist because you have a lot going on in your belly you have your stomach you have your intestines you have your liver you have all these organs and you have these muscles that that you know go over top of your organs and protect those organs oh sorry that's a spammer calling me. Um, You have all of these, um, you know, you have these muscles that protect these organs. And it's really not very natural for that to be flat and for that to all stay completely back and have this like flat line. And it's, you know, your spine curves, you have this natural kind of arch in your lower back. It's sort of normal for you to kind of have this this arch in your stomach too. And it's not, it's not, I don't think, you know, biologically the human body was designed to have this, especially a woman's body is not designed to have this very flat um, washboard looking stomach. I mean, it's just not very uh, realistic. It's fine. It's not a bad thing. Plenty of people are very lean and have a flatter stomach and have a shape of their shape of their body is that way but many people aren't and so now we have given you know in addition to having quote-unquote toned arms and being very lean now you have to have this very flat stomach and also this very perky butt and your boobs need to be perky too and they shouldn't be sagging and so it's just all of these things wrapped up into the ways that, you know, we tell women they should look. And a lot of it is just like, if you look at it from a biological perspective and look at the human body, it's like, that doesn't actually make any sense. Like that, anyway, sorry, I digress um, from that rant, but it just, you know, I would evaluate what's driving you, what's motivating you, and what are you trying to attain And maybe shift that perspective to, I want to really be healthy. I want to move forward with having more balance with what I'm eating and how I'm interacting with food. And I want to really focus on um, allowing my body to exist and grow and change shape when I am growing a child. And having a lot of grace for myself 
after I have that child because a lot of emotions come up with this. And so any sort of work that you do now is really going to benefit you so that you can enjoy your experience more of, of getting pregnant and having a baby and seeing your body completely change and do these amazing things and not holding it to this standard that might not be very realistic or helpful at all. And it's not actually healthy. It actually is very detrimental to your health. So, um, yeah, I, I think that you can definitely experiment with the foods and introducing foods again. I would actually do so kind of slowly, trying some more fruits, some potatoes, that sort of thing. Um, and then regarding the fibromyalgia and the joint and the mineral stuff, um, I don't know if you're taking chondroitin sulfates, but that is something that can be helpful for joint health. Um, and I would highly recommend, um, it seems like you are eating a, a wide variety of nutrients, but I would really highly recommend potentially getting your vitamin D levels tested. We do know that vitamin D and vitamin K2 are really important for mineral health um, and the transportation of minerals into bones. And so it might be worth really upping your intake of high quality organ meats and trying to make sure that you're really getting enough vitamin D and vitamin K2. So that's my rambles. Question number two is from Candace. Hello, my name is Candace, and I first want to thank you both for all your insight and advice that you provide to all of us women. I have a question regarding being tired most of the time. I'm a 43-year-old female. I work at least 50 hours a week, plus an hour commute each way that I'm in retail, so I'm always on my feet. I would say that I get a decent amount of sleep besides my dogs waking me up to go outside. I usually sleep from 10.30 to 5 a.m. daily. I do not get to exercise on a daily basis, but when I do, my exercise consists of riding my mountain bike. I try to ride anywhere from 6 to 10 miles at least once a week. I consider myself active, but honestly do not have the time or energy to be as active as I would like to be. A while ago, I gave up coffee. I did for several months, and after a few months, I started to get really tired again. I felt good at first because it was I was not experiencing the downfall in the afternoon, but then I began to really get exhausted. I was falling asleep on my way to work and tired throughout the day. I recently had blood work done. It seems to come back fine. My vitamin D was in a good range. The only thing that flagged was having protein in my urine. I was told that has to do with me being very active on my mountain bike. I also suffer from allergies, almost allergic to everything outdoors and most indoor pollutants. I do receive allergy shots on a weekly basis. Uh, I started looking for energy drinks from vitamin shops such as amino acid and branched chain amino acids with ca caffeine, but they do not seem to help, and I do not want to continue to just pump caffeine into my body. I eat somewhat healthy. Uh, I eat eggs, sometimes uncurred bacon for breakfast, as well as a banana with peanut butter. I have a lunch mainly consists of either chicken or red meat, as well as salads, homegrown lettuce and kale. For dinner, I have a protein shake and usually some fruit and some sometimes a small salad. I try not to eat a lot of bread, but usually have a chicken wrap at least once a week. I do not indulge in sweets except for my Cliff Bars, and I really do not eat any snacks. Do you ladies have any thoughts on ways to gain more energy? I do. I do have some thoughts. Um, and I'm going to sound a lot like Steph here. <laughs> uh, I, all of which is to say, I, uh, I think you could do with some carbs. Uh, I'll circle back to that because that's a very Steph thing to say. It's also a very Noel thing to say. Um, there are other things too. I think probably, I think there's a lot going on here. I think I would try getting some more sleep. If you can, um, I know you're get, you're getting six and a half hours, which might seem like a lot, but if you're waking up, I know 
the vast majority of people wake up to an alarm. But if you're waking up to an alarm, the reality is that you're not getting as much sleep as your body actually wants you to get. Um, I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people to hear, um, but it's definitely true. And again, you could only be getting 20 minutes less or you could be getting hours less, like you don't really know. Um, I think if you're working, you know, if you can't get more sleep, I would try and make up for it on the weekends. I know that that sounds a little bit silly, but there are many There are many sleep doctors and sleep health professionals who believe that there is such a thing as a sleep debt and that you can make up for it to an extent. Um, And so maybe you sleep 12 hours a day on the weekends and that might not sound like fun, but having energy throughout the day is definitely the most fun. So um, there's that. I think also, yes, you're very active. I'm not sure I would say that cycling on your mountain bike once a week is enough to for that to be like a a cause of having protein in your urine. But I definitely think um, that your whole basic lifestyle um, is physically demanding. You know, you said an hour commute and you said you're on your feet, which means you're not sitting in your car. So you're probably living in a city and, and doing some transit and walking. And that can be like hard in retail, right? You said retail. Um, and, when you're just, I, I don't know, the people I know who work in related fields like are on their feet all day long, um, running back and forth and getting things and, and the like. And so it sounds like a very active lifestyle to me. And it also sounds to me like you're not eating nearly enough carbs to make up for the fact that you're expending so much energy um, and um, you know not quite sleeping maybe enough at night. And so I would definitely consider adding carbs. Um, I think you're right. Like you were the, the caffeine was enough to make up for the fact that you're not sleeping enough. But if you don't want to caffeinate, I mean, you could also try moving to a, you know, like a decaf tea, um, green tea actually has a lot of caffeine in it. Um, and has health benefits if you get a nice high quality one, um, still less than coffee. So green tea, um, you could try a decaf tea if you want to do something that's a little bit caffeinated. If you don't want any caffeine, um, then I think definitely, definitely more sleep would be the optimal way to go if you can't do that. Um, definitely, I would add in more carbs, um, regardless, probably to every meal, um, you could maybe scrimp on them for breakfast if, you know, or lunch for one of those, um, if it helps you with your energy. Uh, but it, it, the carbs at, at this juncture could be helpful. Um, the energy drink thing, I would, I would be, you know, I would be careful with that. I'm not sure, you know, what, how much of a qualitative difference there is between, uh, energy drink dependence and caffeine dependence. Uh, definitely something that's much more on the natural side, like some ginger, uh, uh, ginger tea perhaps, um, can be a little bit stimulating, uh, B vitamins are a healthy way to stimulate yourself. (laughs) Um, I would definitely like stick to that realm if you're looking for some energy support, um, on top of, on top of the other you know, slightly more naturalistic uh, ways to do it. But I definitely don't, I would not hypothesize that there's some sort of underlying health fatigue issue. I I think it's probably more just this um, more basic day-to-day, basic, (laughs) uh, more simple day-to-day, 
not getting quite enough rest, working a little bit hard sort of thing. Yeah, completely agree. I think it's two culprits um, combined together. I think it's sleeping way too little and eating way too little. And so the under eating and the under sleeping is absolutely going to lead to energy and and major fatigue issues. I could not agree more. If you're setting an alarm, you're clearly not getting enough sleep. And I would highly recommend, like today, I woke up at 6.30, but I woke up very naturally, and and that was just when my body woke up. And maybe your body's kind of adapted to waking up at 5 o'clock, but... Five o'clock is very early and it is sort of unnatural. It's an unnatural time for us to wake up. So I do think that if it, it has a lot to do with the fact that you have to have this long commute, you know, you, you have less time to sleep, you're driving an hour both ways and that's really, really tough. And, but pr- so the, the simple fix here is go to bed earlier. You ha- you've got to get more sleep. I would really shoot I would shoot for eight hours so that if you don't get eight hours, recommendation is between seven and eight hours of sleep. But I think most women definitely need closer to eight to feel good. And so getting to sleep earlier around, you know, if you can go to bed around nine o'clock, that would be ideal. It's when I I usually try to go to bed between nine or 10 o'clock and that's just how I have to live my life. And I usually wake up at six and I'm still tired sometimes. So yeah, I mean, getting to bed earlier, um, being a retail employee is no joke. I did it for six years and I was in management and I was exhausted after a lot of days of being on my feet and especially when I would go out on the weekends to, to manage events and stuff like that. Um, it was it was it was exhausting. And so I, I do get it. You're constantly talking to people. You're constantly moving. You're constantly standing. And it's um, it's not it's definitely not sitting at a desk and it's um it's it can be physically demanding. It sounds like um, just with the food that you're eating, I'm not so sure why you do a protein shake for dinner and then a, some fruit and a small salad. Like that sounds like maybe a snack. Um, it couldn't be more than four or five hundred calories. I would assume, I would bet that if you did add your calories up, you'd probably be around twelve to fifteen hundred, which is probably about half of what you need. So really making sure that you're getting a lot more snacks in, a lot more food in. We're talking snacks. I would I would recommend moving away from the cliff bars and trying to do more um Whole, other kinds of bars. Oh, other bars, but but other bars that have higher quality, that are more I'm nutrient kidding, dense. Just yeah, I know you're. But like getting getting more bang for your buck in terms of nutrients because your body needs nutrients to have energy. And I'm thinking that you are really really depleted. You are really nutrient deficient. Um, I don't see much like I don't see any high quality meat. If you're just drinking a protein shake, you you really do need like whole salmon and ground beef and stuff like that. And um, yeah. She did say she had that for lunch. She has meat with her lunch. Okay. Yeah. Um, Just more, a little bit more regularly. Just we, there's, you're just majorly lacking nutrients. It might be helpful for you to work one-on-one with like a nutritional therapy practitioner or something like that so that you can get an outsider perspective on here's all the foods that I'm eating in, you know, calculated out and here's what I should be eating and how can I go about getting more food into my day in a way that's going to work into my schedule because we do know it seems like you're pretty busy. You know, you're spending a long time commuting and 
um, you have a really tough job. So if there's any way that you could shorten that commute and or, you know, by moving and or finding a new job, um, that's going to help the situation a lot. But you absolutely have to be eating a lot more and a lot more carbohydrate for sure. There's like virtually none in here. Um, and just more nutrient-dense foods in general, we need to really, I would say, double the size of each meal and make sure you're really getting a hearty, decent size um, dinner, really a good size dinner. We love Thrive Market, and for good reason. It's an online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable. You can shop for thousands of different foods and natural products, including non-GMO foods and snacks, vitamins, supplements, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, organic baby food, and more. And the best part is you get to shop from home, on your computer, or with the Thrive Market app. And it's all shipped straight to your door. Their prices are 25 to 50% below retail prices because they cut out the middleman and buy straight from brands and then pass on that savings to us. In other words, for the first time in history, you can easily access wholesome alternatives to conventional products found at traditional supermarkets at the same prices or lower. We have a special offer for our well-fed women community at thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. You can get $60 of organic groceries for free, plus free shipping, plus a free trial membership. You literally have nothing to lose, and you'll likely find many items that are already in your pantry. Go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen, and you can check the show notes for more information. So last question is from Brittany. Hey guys, gonna sound like a broken record since y'all are so lovable, but I do feel like we're pals. So I can tell you I love the podcast and soaking in your knowledge and wisdom on every level. My question is, I'm wanting to get off the pill in the next couple of months in order to hopefully start a fam real soon with my hubs. Do you guys have any advice or wisdom on ways I can prepare my body for the massive hormonal changes that are about to happen? I want to prepare my body in the healthiest way possible to attempt to have a seamless transition and promote healthy hormonal balance. Now, she does give us some history on her. She's 30 years old. And at age 16, she was given, um, she says, I was given what I now assume was progesterone to induce shedding and then begin birth control pills mainly because of hormone horrible acne, uh, pretty much been on the pill ever since. So about 14 years, she was diagnosed with PCOS at age 23 with an ultrasound confirming cystic ovaries and also abnormally high levels of testosterone. When briefly off birth control a few years later, she has some anxiety. And when she attempted to get off of birth control, PCOS symptoms came roaring back. Um, exercise three to four times a week, eats pretty clean, no specific diet, tried to get a good mix of animal proteins, carbs, and fats, currently taking fish oil, women's one a day, and B-complex. I'm fearful of all the horrible PCOS symptoms attacking me ferociously as soon as I quit the pill, as well as infertility down the road. Help. I think this is a good question for you, Steph, regarding, so when somebody comes off the pill and they've been taking the pill to manage PCOS symptoms, like what are some lifestyle changes that maybe they should Maybe somebody can start doing now before they even get off the pill, but even, you know, things to consider once they do come off the pill and and want their fertility back. It's interesting because when you first started reading the question, I was like cracking my knuckles and just like, I'm going to let Noelle take this. Just sitting back. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is about babies. I'm just going to like let Noelle take this. And then you start talking about PCOS and I was like, crap. (laughs) Oh, wait, Steph, come back, come back. (laughs) I'm here. Pay attention. Pay attention my resources. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, this is really, really important. 
um, being on the pill for, you know, more or less for 14 years is a long, is a long time. Um, and so it could hypothetically take a while for your body to adjust coming off of it, um, to be fertile, uh, let alone, you know, manage your, your PCOS symptoms. Um, of course I, I couldn't say that for sure, but it's possible, um, one thing that's problematic about being on the pill, which I, I do talk about in PCOS Unlocked somewhat, is that you don't really know what your hormone situation would be like off of it. And you know that you have symptoms when you kind of come off of it. Um, but you have no idea what it would be like to just be like completely without the pill, right? You know what it's like to come off of it, but that's a period of transition. You don't know what it's like to be completely off of it. Um, and it's harder to catch PCOS when it starts, you know, um, because you're on it and you, you probably know all of these things. Um, and it's good that you're being, you know, mindful and intentional about moving forward now. Um, so I think the most important thing, um, I think probably the most important thing, it seems to me like I would call this probably a type one PCOS. Um, I have a classification system. There is a typology type one PCOS. I characterize as the type of PCOS that is related to um, insulin resistance and in that way, uh, inflammation and gut health. And so I think first and foremost, I would look at gut health. Uh, I would take a really nice probiotic. Um, Noelle and I like to recommend prescript assist. <laughs> um, there's another one, a bio cult that Noelle has recommended to me before cult with a K, um, that seemed to be helpful for people more often than not. Um, more than that, I would probably do a fermented food on the reg, <laughs> uh, which is to say regularly, um, every day I would have kimchi as my fermented food of choice. You could also try kombucha tea, although that has some caffeine in it. Um, maybe some coconut yogurt, um, sauerkraut, make sure it's actually fermented, that sort of thing. Uh, we talk about that a lot. The probiotics I think are really, really key here, um, for starting to help your body, inflammation keep your get your insulin levels in check maybe get some blood work done and see if you have a problem with your insulin regulation i think that that could um if you're regularly seeing a doctor about these sorts of things i think that could be really helpful um, just to get a ballpark idea of of what you're dealing with in that regard you know we don't just want to know your hormone levels but also uh, your metabolic hormone levels not just sex hormone but metabolic um so do that if you can if not just like be really careful about that your gut health um, look into, I don't know if you maybe have any under other underlying health conditions. It sounds like there is definitely some underlying inflammation or something going on here. Um, if you're on meds for, um, mental health stuff, um, usually that indicates that yes, the, the brain is, uh, struggling with, with some levels of inflammation as well. Gut health is, is a really good place to look there. Um, I don't know. You said your diet is like fine, <laughs> pretty good. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that means or what you've experimented with. I don't know if you want to try like a paleo paleo uh, where you get rid of grains, dairy, seed oils, 
sugar uh, for a month or two and see if that's helpful for you. For the type of PCOS you have, I think that it actually could be. Um, I'm not sure if you're ready for that sort of thing psychologically, but if you are, if you think you are, I would definitely consider it. I normally just don't say like, do paleo (laughs) for people uh, managing health conditions, but I think it's uh, something worth um, experimenting with here in terms of supplements and stuff you could do. You know, I definitely don't think that that's um, like the top of the list of things to prioritize. Um, A standard fish oil I wouldn't take um, if you just like get a, omega-3 supplement but from a cvs shelf um, i would not do that if you're taking any kind of oil i would make it a fermented cod liver oil Um, there are two brands that seem to do a decent job with that there is rosita's and there is also um, green pastures Um, women's one a day is is just a multivitamin I, i don't think that that's necessarily harmful i wouldn't put a lot of stock in that if you're taking a b complex i highly 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 could not more highly recommend taking a thorn research um, B complex with B12. Um, very, It's very important when you take B vitamins to make sure that you're getting um, the proper methylated forms that your body can use really easily. Um, and they have that in the thorn research. And I've seen that work just like miracles on, on people around me. And I, I don't want to overstate that, but that's just an accurate assessment of what has happened. And I'm not saying that will be the case for you because we don't know if, if you have a B vitamin deficiency, but I would definitely do that. It could be really helpful for the brain stuff. Um, I would take a magnesium at night because why not? Magnesium's the best. <laughs> um, and definitely focus on including nutrient dense foods in your diet. Um, we really don't know what you're dealing with here. Um, you know what your food is like, but I, it's just, I, I can't, I can't overstate the importance for when, for when you're dealing with, um, PCOS. I'm also not sure what your exercise is like. I think exercise is great, but, um, and you should be doing it, but don't do too much. I know it's a very vague thing to say, but since I, since I don't have a lot of data, I can't give you, um, a specific recommendation. Oh, three to four times per week. Nothing crazy. Okay. That sounds good. I'm all about that. Um, I just saw this listed in the in the um, stats that you provided. Um, yeah, don't try don't try to lose weight. Um, you know, okay. So normally, this kind of PCOS is type one PCOS is related to um, like a metabolic and weight management issues. Uh, but I see here that you're probably not in a good position to lose any weight. So in addition to taking care of your gut health, I would also um, <laughs> I would also urge you to consider uh, the other the other two kinds of PCOS with PCOS main kinds which are um, those related to stress and um, under eating and hypothyroidism. Um, I'm not saying necessarily that you're an under eater, um, but just don't eat less. Make sure you err on the side of eating more rather than less um, and do it while you're healing your gut. Um, I, you can play with carb levels to try and manage your insulin, you know, to try and keep your symptoms down when you come off the pill. But um, I'm not sure that I would um, 
necessarily recommend that because I, you know, I don't want you to be under eating. Um, but that's something that people with type one PCOS often do and benefit from is just having a lower carb approach because it helps keep your insulin levels down, which will help keep your testosterone levels down, which will help keep your um, acne and other symptoms in check. That is a possibility. Um, I would also, I think eating a low inflammatory, like straight up paleo diet or what have you could be helpful, especially if you happen to be um, managing any kind of hypothyroidism. And that's worth looking into if your symptoms remain intractable. So all of those things do before you come off the pill, while you're coming off the pill, and then as you do it, have a lot of patience, um, eat a lot of leafy greens, it will help your body get rid of old hormones faster. Um, and really, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to focus on your gut health while you're doing this and just have patience. It's kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. There's not really much you can do to make it a perfectly smooth landing. I'm just going to I'm just going to say that right now. Um, there's a lot that you can do to help. And again, I think working on reducing inflammation and your gut health, making sure that you're eating plenty of um, everything maybe having a slightly lower carbohydrate approach. But again, based on your personal history, I'm not sure if that's better or not. These are all things you can kind of do beforehand. But I really do think that you're just going to need a lot of patience as you do it. Um, and lastly, again, as many test results as you can get would be helpful. You know, a diagnosis or some sort of assessment of your thyroid levels could be really helpful. Understanding of where your insulin levels are at maybe uh, where your cortisol levels are at, all of those sorts of things, in addition to your hormone levels, um, could be helpful. Finally, maybe consider adding a vitamin D, um, which can help you modulate your, your hormone levels um, appropriately. And it never hurts to have more vitamin D. Um, oh, but if you take a cod liver oil supplement, there will be vitamin D in it. But it might be overbalanced by the vitamin A, so go ahead and take the vitamin D anyway. Okay, I'm done. Anything else, Stephanie? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would... To make a lot of sense of this, I'm not sure if she recommended it or not, but I would definitely get PCOS Unlocked, which is her program, which we will put in the show <laughs> yeah. notes. But it is, it's true. I mean, it's just a specific program about these different conditions and what can be causing this severe hormonal imbalance. And so I think that if you can go ahead and get that program and then kind of pursue making these sort of lifestyle changes based on whatever is resonating with you and really working on focusing on gut health. And I think that, you know, the first thing to do when we're talking about gut health and leaky gut and gut permeability is removing all of those things that, you know, removing these things that could be causing inflammation or damage to the gut. And so while you say you have a healthy diet, that could still include a lot of foods that are harming or being are not healthful for you and your gut and so the only way to really figure that out is to do some sort of temporary elimination diet with reintroduction which we do discuss in our book but i don't want you to wait until august to figure that out and so i think that um going through the pcos unlocked thing and, and really um you know, trying testing out a paleo approach, which is does remove a lot of those offending foods is is going to be really helpful for you when, you know, coming off the pill. And then, like Stephanie said, also adding all of these high high quality nutrients back in um, that support hormonal balance and adding these nutrients back in um, is going to be 
just as important after the fact. So we'll link to the program in the show notes. Anything else, Stefani? Nope. Okay, for more from me, go to coconuts and kettlebells.com. For more from Stephanie, go to paleo4women.com. We're excited to uh, talk to you guys again next week. And uh, also, if you'd like to leave us a review, please do so. We really, really appreciate it, and it does help us get our message out to more people. You can go to coconuts and kettlebells.com slash review, and we will hopefully be able to read it and enjoy it. Talk to you guys next week.